Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. Ding dong, the Gorgon is dead. Iron hands get facts, and we bid farewell to the meta that was. Fortune favors the bold. Only two tournaments adopted the Space Marine fact last weekend. We peer into the future at the Northeast Open and Alpha Strike GT. With Adepticon just around the corner, we travel back in time to see what wacky hijinks were brewing at Coastal Wargaming's practice hobby pageants. And finally, we run down the remaining winners from the last weeks and let the IH players out of the dugout one last time for a tip of the cap. This is Stat Center. Oh, yes, Stat Center has reached its dirty 30s, Pete. That's right, episode 30 coming at you, hot folks. Wow, wow, wow. Not too shabby. As always, I'm Val Heffelfinger, everyone's favorite 40K mustache, and I'm joined by Peter, the Vulcan from 40kstats.com. Say hi to the people, Pete. Hi to the people. Okay, not literally, but uh, thanks for flashing me back to annoying conversations in elementary school. Hey, that's what I do. You folks may have been tuning into the Frontline Gaming Network recently, and I really hope that you have. And we're all getting drunk these days on ad money, so this episode you may, you might hear some ads, you might not. The good news is Bloomberg dropped out of the race, and therefore you won't be hearing any Super Tuesday ads. Yeah, it won't be as uh, targeted as some of those uh, chapter tactics ones were. Let's uh, let's really hope for the best, though. I'm I'm really keen on getting some good gaming previews, uh, maybe some kind of foot cream. I mm-hmm. think that's kind of where our our people are headed. Um, well, you know, yeah, cross fingers. You you know, we've been advocating heavily for www.dickpills.com sponsorship since we started the show. It's and true. Even before we started the show, um, we were really pushing uh, for that. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. Well, the wheels have been greased. We'll see if they roll. Now, let's get down to some 40K talk here, my friend. Where were you when the Space Marines FAQ dropped? Well, I was uh, sitting alone in a tower at an airport, just minding my own business. Thinking about uh, what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And uh, I happened to <laughs> stare down longingly at my cell phone while I was making a little bit of bacon. Uh-huh. And I said, huh, a lot of my friends seem to be uh, sending me a lot of messages right now. What's going on? You know, it's funny. I've always imagined you in your tower with a hot plate, but I've never actually like thought of what you might be cooking. And bacon makes a lot of sense. And I think plays well to Canadian stereotypes for our American friends as well. It's true. I mean, I went through a bit of a phase recently. Um, like my work will buy us some food you know, since, you know, we're alone for hours and hours at a time. Uh, so we have like a stocked fridge and uh, no one was eating the hash browns. So I started making a lot of like these hash brown grilled cheese sandwich combinations. Wow. Um, that, yeah, I was I was pretty into. Uh, it was not good for me no. physically, um, probably not mentally either. Oh, boy. But man, I hammered slow. those down. You know, it's good. It's good. Good thing that we have Stephen Box uh, making appearance later on in the episode, so we can hopefully balance out this horrible nutritional advice with his rippling physique. Uh, that all being said, I was for some reason on the internet the moment it dropped. I've been a bit preoccupied lately, but nonetheless, I was paying attention, and I was the one who posted to Stat Center that uh, that there was this massive fact and. Had to edit the post three times because my hot takes were hot garbage. Oh, yeah. They were terrible. Um, 
I was really sad that you don't know how to change your uh, comments so that they show that it's you and not me, because I was feeling embarrassed for both of us. Well, that's okay. You usually do. Uh, now, that all being said, why don't we look back a little bit here? Let's let's perhaps mark the occasion and just let's summarize, Pete, because I think you're uniquely qualified to do this. Uh, the meta that was. The end of the Iron Hands meta pretty much is, is here. I, we can talk about it later, but... You know, spanning pretty much from that 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 first Iron Hands FAQ to present, are you able to tell the people a little bit about you know how dominant were Iron Hands really? I don't even think we sh- we need to go that far. Um, I mean, we can talk about the fact that essentially since launch they've held pretty steady to at the lowest uh, a sixty percent win rate. Um, and that was immediately post a major nerf uh, that uh, that some people thought like uh, might have killed them, right? I know there were a couple people out there that were like, "Thank God that they fixed the Iron Stone, that they fixed, you know, the four, five, six other things um, in their codex that were initially like first blush ridiculously powerful." Um, and that brought them down to you know winning most things and not everything like they did in their first you know week and a little bit, um, but. You know, they still sat at a 60% win rate um, going into the new year. The new year hits. We start seeing some of these Broviathan lists that we would soon uh, call them um, variations thereof. Um, and uh, they skyrocket. They're up to a 65 uh, by the end, a 68% win rate on average against anybody but themselves. Um, a few of the stats... Uh, there was a, a good period of time in January and February and parts of, and December as well where um, there was no faction that had a better than a 50-50% win rate against Iron Hands. And the only faction that was uh, was Raven Guard mm. um, and Gene Steeler Cults, but they only had like four games against them at the time. So it wasn't like that's a, a huge pool to go by. Because no uh, one was playing Gene Steeler Cults. Exactly, and the reason why no one was playing Gene Slayer cults is because, um, on average, they're they're just they just couldn't handle the, the majority of what the Space Marine meta provided. Um, so yeah, so it looked really bad on paper. What kind of um, uh, now? I know you on on Forty K stats were starting to break out the individual factions. I don't know how far back that goes. Probably at least to the LVO. But do we have an idea of what kind of T whip these guys were were having? Like how actually successful were they aside from? From win percentage, were they, you know, actually podiuming? I mean, anyone listening to the show knows they've been winning at a crazy yeah. clip. But I mean, yes. were those just the good players, or were these guys actually getting to the the the, the top placings frequently? Oh, for sure. Like uh, even just going in, uh, starting at the new year, they had a two point nine um, t uh, sorry uh, average first round loss. Um, so and that's you know over. A good what eleven thousand games recorded. So um, does that mean that the that on average an Iron Hand player was losing in the third round? Yes. Wow. Um, their bottom quartile, which I've brought up in a couple instances. So so the worst twenty five percent of Iron Hands players uh, that were playing had a thirty eight percent win rate. Um, the next best faction to have that kind of a quartile uh, showing was uh, Eldar at a at a twenty four. Um, so like even their worst players were far better than like anybody else's, um, their T whip, uh, you know, they made up just them themselves, uh, by the, at their top made up about 11% of the meta, 
um, and they were 33% of TWIP. So uh, they had three times the representation of their list um, at the top tables as were in the field. Like just overall, everything about them was insanity when we compare it to basically anything uh, going back outside of very explicit lists. Yeah, th- this um, actually was my next point. So if we're going to... So let, let, let's maybe for for our audience, let's put them in the pantheon of dominant, you know, factions or archetypes, you know, coming to mind, you know, you'd have Double Spear Yanari, you'd have the Castellan list, maybe there's an argument for uh, the uh, Custodes Grav Tanks there for a minute. What, yeah. uh, where, where do you so, think I mean, your, this, this your thing Custodes, is Your Custodes uh, Grav Tank list, um, when it was at its peak, which was about it was it was actually a little bit longer but it was really about th- two three months worth of data where they actually kind of hit the the you know that that ps de la resistance uh, list build uh, for them uh, they were sitting at about a 2.6 for their average first round loss um, their t whip was about uh, 10 or 11 percent compared to six to seven percent of the meta so at their peak um, they were they were doing very well um, but nothing like this if you look at you know, back in the Double Spiranari days. Um, and of course, when we think about Double Spiranari, we have to remember, like, this was at a point when about half the factions didn't even have codexes um, when they kind of hit uh, their their stride. So we're looking at, a, they're going up against a bunch of index books. They they were sitting at a 63, 64% win rate at their top. Um, same idea, though, with about a 2.8, 2.9 for their their first average first round loss and that was really degrading by the time they finally got their you know their final nerf where the, where uh, gw absolutely buried them um they had gone down to about a 58 percent win rate uh, because orcs had come out as a pretty strong counter to them things like that um you know still doing very well but same idea um where you know people had come up with ways to beat them um the one big similarity between Inari and Iron Hands was the fact that um, at the at the Inari peak, only Thousand Suns had a winning had a like a win rate that was positive against them, uh, similar to how uh, Iron Hands had essentially just Raven Guard. Um, so yeah, and then I mean the Castellan, the Castellan at its peak, which was really only about three weeks worth of data when we look at it, yeah. um, you know, right around that Nova time when. That uh, quote-unquote Mitch Pelham list was out with the the Blood Angels ba- Battalion and Castellan and uh, Guard Brigade with infinite CP and you know all sorts of shenanigans that had to be facted away because they were just bad for the game in general, um, not just because of the Castellan, although that was the biggest defender. I mean, yes, that thing had like an eighty percent win rate. Um, huh. it was at, and was absolutely absurd. But that was a very very specific list. Like there was not a lot of give to how that list played um, and. It had infinite CP regeneration, so like yeah. you could play every stratagem you ever wanted forever, and so, and in most games you ended up with more than when you started. I mean that so. Castellan meta, though, I think as far as you know, a comparable probably is our best analogy to what we just went through. I mean, it it sort of became dominant, uh, or at least came on the scene in a big, bad, obvious way. I guess around Nova. And yep. persisted really all the way through the LVO. I mean, Brandon Grant was running essentially a variation of that list, sure. despite the loss of of some of the benefits. Yeah, and but by the end of it, like after that huge nerf that you know that took out a number of stratagems, took out uh, how CP regeneration worked, modified how the fly w- rule worked again for right. like the fourth time. Um, like that list was uh, when Brandon Grant won, it was sitting at about a fifty eight percent win rate. Um, you know, which, you know, 10 points lower than what we're seeing with Iron Hands. 
Um, it, uh, Castellans were about 10% of the meta back mm-hmm. then. So, you know, we do have that as a, as a corollary. Um, uh, but yeah, like, and, uh, the one thing uh, that Castellan did after its big nerf was it still removed essentially all vehicles from the game because Castellan's just picked them up, which I uh, guess, I, I guess you're right. Cause when you, we think about, uh, where we are right now, this, this, uh, space Marine nerf in general, um, there's a, a strong hope we'll see more vehicles again because Imperial fists had knocked the majority of vehicles out of lists outside of, you know, Iron Hands Dreadnoughts because they were essentially unkillable. Right. Well, I mean, um, you know, these Space Marines have so far knocked everything out of the meta. (laughs) For sure. So, so yeah, so sounds to me like, you know, we have uh, Iron Hands dominating a mature game. And I think you actually had a cool insight there, which is, you know, the the tweaks that have been uh, used to address Iron Hands... Uh, and we keep saying Iron Hands, but really, this you know sort of affects Space Marines as a, a you know in a general sense um, because of you know how it has changed some of the lead factions because it's changed the Raven Guards too. But regardless, um, other, previously they were still tweaking the game fundamentally. I think uh, as a reaction to some of these dominant lists, their core rule abuses on top of what you know the power of individual units or factions. Whereas this this has just been entirely addressed through that. Um, through by by actually addressing the faction itself, there is no changes to how fly works or any uh, uh, you know the character keyword. It was just able to be changes made to Space Marines that hopefully will have a positive impact on what's competitive in the meta. Um, whereas a lot of the other dominant builds, you know, resulted in changes to the fundamental gameplay of of Eighth Edition, and so I think that kind of speaks to the fact that. <laughs> The last, the last, you know, big FAQ we got was sort of uh, eh, everything's cool, guys. Uh, literally yeah. in the preamble, and uh, yeah. perhaps that was true if it wasn't for the distorting effect of of the the Space Marine release, which frankly was super cool, except for it's really skewing, um, you know, tendency. We could have started a sub league with the Space Marine stuff. So, my final question: Is it actually over? Is did did we see anything in this last weekend? Uh, that uh, you know says to you that you know this has had an actual effect. So I hate to use just one weekend's worth of data where we only had three or you know, four events and only two were able to use the FAQ. Like there's a lot of reasons why um, this data set is not great to pull uh, any conclusions from. Um, this isn't like when Iron Hands came out and we had you know 19 or 20 events that we could look at in a weekend and say, holy crap, look at what happened. Um, this is, you know, two two events that uh, allowed people to make list modifications two days in advance. So I'm saying all this just so that you know people don't get uppity about me trying to make any kind of predictions. But we did see um, some initial strong reactions here uh, statistically. The big one being um, Iron Hands only had about a 43% win rate over the weekend. Cue um, sound were- effect. They, they were 10% of the meta still, just shy of 10. Uh, so 14 people brought them out of, of the um, like 140 between the two events that ran it. Um, and it was really the low end. There were still a few people that performed on the top end. But that low end, that bottom quartile, that bottom even like 50% did very poorly. Um, and a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that, you know, they're probably their two best builds pre this nerf. Um got 
got good, right? Like cogitated martyrdom no longer works the way it does. Uh, you, so you no longer have unkillable dreadnoughts um, outside of character ones, and you no longer have these like weird uh, feel no pain interactions. And I mean, and just devastator lost, doctrine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Going away. So like that really, it really brought them down. Um, what we did see was an increase in Raven Guard play, um, which, you know, they did take a nerf, but I, I think the common consensus was it isn't, it's a, it was a big deal at the top end, but not anywhere else, right? Um, Brad Chester did a pretty decent interview with, um, with 40k today, where he kind of brought up the big issue with not being able to master of ambush centurions, and it's more that you don't get board control going second, hmm. um, um, so that is still a big deal because aggressors are still great um, as a replacement for those assault centurions, but they do die much easier with only a three-up ar uh, armor save versus the two-up. Right. Um, so yeah, so like, but we still saw like a five percent increase in Raven Guard play. They they had about a fifty-five percent win rate. Okay. Um, so like, they're still very strong for sure. Um, Tau came out really strong this last weekend. Um, even though they didn't win anything, um, they came out with a combined win rate of over 60%, um, and we're about 8% of the meta. So I expect that to be, um, you know, it's, I believe it's kind of following, falling in line with what a lot of uh, people are predicting. Like a lot of the top players, yeah. um, have done, you know, infinite amounts of articles and thoughts on how this is how this is going to play out and who's going to be uh, you know next in line to take everything and and i think they're all they're all essentially going on the right track you're going to see a lot of gray knights we're already seeing that um tau become a lot stronger eldar becomes stupidly strong because if you look at eldar's numbers they were already at like a 55 percent win rate and that was with like a 25 percent win rate against iron hands which was the majority of their games that's they concerning just, they destroy literally everybody else um, except Iron Hands and to a lesser degree like uh, Blood Angels were very close to like a 50-50 against them, uh, armies like that. So yes, El I think Eldar, um, if the entire meta doesn't change, like if we don't see a huge shift to say hordes or something like that, I think Eldar are in a very good place. And then there's now this, you know, uh, talk of the Iron Hands infantry skew list becoming the way to go. And we're going to talk to Mike Porter a little bit yeah. uh, and talk about his list uh, a little bit, which and uh, another player that actually went that way. Because mm -hmm. um, I think they're even right. Pre, even pre-FAQ, I mean, we were seeing some some. Uh, oh, for some sure. Moving that direction. I mean, Richard Richard Siegler brought it up several times that, you know, if, uh, if he were to do his LVO over again, um, or if he was forced to drop the Leviathan, um, he would just take you know another twenty intercessors and run the list like that because yeah. it's so strong. Memory, remembering back uh, to uh, Sammy Keenanen, uh, who actually he he uh, he won. We'll cover him in our in our, uh, in our uh, quick hitters at the end. Uh, but you know he was saying you know just just intercessor spam for Iron Hands almost right at the start of of all of this uh, stuff yeah. oh, uh, um, was was the list to go with. Yeah, and Menelik Eriksson, he was another one. A lot of the Swedes were, like, really into this, guys. You don't understand how strong. And this was before we got Master Apothecary, right? Right. Which is what's, which is what's got everybody, you know, all bonered up about it, is the fact that they're, they're, you've, Master Apothecary turned Iron Hand's Intercessors into Plague Bearers with giant guns. Yeah. So. All right, well, hold on to those boners, folks. We're going to hit a quick bump, and then we're going to get into some specific details about uh, the... Uh, two tournaments that used the Iron Hands FAQ this past weekend. Here we go. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCP TO app to organize events. 
for just about any tabletop game system. Download the Player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features. Available for iOS and Android. BestCoastPairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. Uh, yes, BCP seems to be functioning smoothly and was used to run the events we're about to talk about. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a quick swing through Georgia, the home of peaches, and of course, the Gigabytes Cafe in Hotlanta, where there was a GT-sized event run this past weekend that did, in fact, make the quick pivot to the Space Marines FAQ. Pete, do you happen to know how they handled that exactly? Uh, yeah, so as far as I understand, they just told everybody they had to use the FAQ or get the app out. Was there Were people able to adjust their list at all? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so uh, with the fact dropping two days before, um, it was offered out to the people if they wanted to use the FAQ or not. It was uh, kind of a resounding yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so anybody that was planning on bringing iron hands, uh, anybody like I believe in general that was bringing space Marines were allowed to modify their lists last minute. Um, I don't believe they had a strong painting requirement, but if they did, um, I'm sorry. Um, and <laughs> the people were also allowed to, you know, drop that as well since, you know, they're in the fundamentals of a number of their lists so changed did, completely. Now, did we see something that you think might turn out to be representative of what the future may look like? I'm not quite sure. Um, it's h- always hard to say when we get a big FAQ drop. Uh, sometimes uh, certain regions can be, you know, more prophetic than others when it comes to how things modify at the last minute. Um, the, you know, South Carolina, Georgia meta is is a very strong one. You know, the you see a lot of the guys from Best General show up. Our good buddy Sir Panda Pants, who's obviously a top tier player given his two and three record. Big time. Um, he like he's always on the on the cusp of the meta, uh, so like it's it's gonna it's hard to say. I will say that it was a very interesting um, event as as it ended up shaking out. Um, this area does have a number of really strong Iron Hands players that did not bring Iron Hands. Uh, Daniel Hester's from the Alpha Strike podcast comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, he is one or top four at a number of events with Iron Hands, um, and I believe he dropped them for Admech okay. uh, for this, um, and and a few others. Uh, so. There was a definite mini exodus uh, from that list with this change, and uh, we saw it in the in the final results. I mean, the top table was Drukari versus Drukari, which I don't think I've been able to talk about as a faction for probably four months now. I mean, that's outside of Scary. Yeah, even even just recently on on the on Chapter Tactics this week, Scary was talking about how it's kind of an uphill battle. Uh, you know, running Drukari, um, and here they are, you know, finishing top table at you know a fair, fairly good sized GT. I think it was forty plus players. Um, you know, is it? Do you have anything that you noticed in those two lists uh, that uh, that sort of stood out to you as being different, or did was it just a good day for Drukari? I think it's a, a combination of factors. Um, I don't know much about JJ uh, other than what Tony's told me about about the fellow. Um, he's uh, generally relatively uh, quiet, a quiet guy. Plays Drukari very well. The one thing I'll say about both lists and you know Drukari in general, they're extremely mobile, and while they die very fast. Um, the ITC new missions, I think, uh, really, uh, really favor these uh, ultra maneuverable lists that can grab a ton of object- objectives early because you can score secondaries with those maneuverables mm-hmm. so fast, right? Uh, turn 
three, uh, in most cases, you've maxed uh, at least your maneuvering secondaries, and Drukari put out enough damage that they should be able to get uh, whatever kill secondary they took. So then it's just about how how do they survive the rest of the game. Um, we weren't able to get an interview with JJ. We did interview Alexis Putt, who mm-hmm. uh, was the uh, top, the other person at the top table, mm-hmm. and she definitely had a, a couple things to say about why she thought, uh, why she brought Drukari and, and what they brought to the table. Okay, let's uh, kick it over to Alexis. As far as the new ITC rules and Space Marine FAC are concerned, I thought that meant that Marines would be a little bit less powerful on offense, though their defense would be substantial. I thought that um, Dark Eldar could handle that fairly well, at least the durability part, if I didn't have to worry so much about the offensive side of things. Uh, in ITC, I didn't see too many changes that really affected how I generally play Dark Eldar or Drukari. For the most part, the big change was whether or not I had to worry about Cs because I often played defensively, just concerned about if I got seized on, so I play a little bit more carefully because Dark Eldar, Drakari are a little bit too flimsy to go full bore. Um, so not having to worry about that was a pretty big change. Now, Pete, you alluded earlier that uh, top table at the Alpha Strike GT was uh, Drukari versus Drukari. Of course, Alexis that we just heard from was one half of that equation. The other half was JJ, uh, an elusive player from Georgia or the area, we think. Um, how did that event break out for them? Like, uh, Let's just uh, do a little summary here. Yeah, sure. So JJ brought a very interesting list. Um, it's it, triple Razor Wing Jet Fighters, which we always know are strong. Um, he had his Cabal of the Blackheart Battalion, um, six Venoms. So, you know, Venom Spam uh, still doing its work. Uh, Drazar, who has started to show up in a, a number of uh, Drukari lists now. He's a very good close combat expert. Um, and then uh, some Mandrakes, of all things, um, rather than going with your normal kind of urine Rakar, the grotesque uh, combo. So interesting to see why that played out. And I wish we could have talked to him a little bit about um, the benefit of those Mandrakes over, uh, you know, what we normally see out of Drukari. Anyway, he played into Alexis in that final round. And uh, what Alexis was able to tell us was she really wished she'd had, uh, she'd gone second. She felt that game really relied on who went first and she needed uh, JJ to do so. Um, the thing about Drukari right now, uh, she alludes to it a little bit in that clip that we uh, said, and then a couple others, is that she feels, um, you know, while they do put out a good amount of damage, um, they are still a bit of a glass cannon. So you, what you want, um, you know, kind of subversive to the normal thought where you would want to go first because you figure, um, you know, you want to get as much done as possible. It's being reactionary. The list is so fast. Yeah. And, you know, you know what's been killed on your turn so you know how much you need to kill and you know and you now have an idea of what objectives you can actually grab um so the list plays very well going second like i said with these particularly new missions allowing for much faster uh, maneuver secondaries so she, according to her she really needed to go second in that game to stand a chance uh, she didn't uh, jj also drukari player knew where the power uh, lied made her go first. She wasn't able to kill anything really uh, of any significance in her opening turn. And it was kind of like a downhill battle from there. So, you know, kind of like we've, we've talked a lot about how this has become a first turn game, except on its head when, uh, in that, fa- in that finale, um, 
the dice roll to go first seemed to determine it all, but it was not the way we normally hear it go down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a big focus, of course, of, you know, traditionally, I think the ITC champ mission pack was, you know, I think from its outset, its inception geared towards trying to give that second turn um, a little bit of a, of a bump in power so that there's perhaps a, more of a balance between first and second turn. Uh, and, of course, we'll see as, as time goes on here how the uh, massive adjustments, which we haven't really even touched on, to the ITC champs missions impact that over time. But, yeah, second, second turn, if you can do it, does seem to be advantageous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and particularly with lists like this where they're so maneuverable, they react so well. Um, yeah. So, anyway, it, uh, congrats to JJ on the yeah. big win. And uh, hopefully we get to see a lot more Drukari on the top table so that we can actually talk to guys like this and get really good insight on how it's all playing out. Yeah, looking forward to the shifts in the meta, but uh, why don't we shift over to a bump and then talk about the big event from the weekend. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Tournament news. Daniel Hester's here with the Alpha Strike podcast, listening to 40K Stat Center. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby, indeed. We are going to now leave Georgia, transport ourselves across the North Atlantic Ocean, riding that oh-so-warm Gulf Stream all the way to UK and Newcastle upon Tyne. That's right. It was the Northeast Open, a 99-player major ITC event using both the new Space Marines FAQ and the new missions. Newcastle upon Time, of course, is home of the Gateshead Millennium Bridge, which is definitely something I've watched, either a YouTube video or how it's made on. So way to go, Newcastle. Pete, how did this tournament handle the uh, the you know two major changes? One, you know, the switch to the uh, switch of the ITC missions, and two, the fact that it dropped just days before the event. Sure. So they adopted it all right away. Um, it didn't. It didn't seem like there was uh, much hesitation there. Uh, what you saw was players uh, were allowed to make any Space Marine players um, were allowed to modify their lists um, and uh, resend them. Um, now, something that uh, we that we do see a lot in the in Europe, in the UK in, in particular, but anywhere really in the, in Europe is that pairings are done in advance uh, for these games, so um, players have a chance to see what they're going to be up against in their round one. Really? Um, yeah, um, it, it happens a lot. And uh, so the pairings were redrawn as well um, for this reason. Um, so it, it changed a lot about how this event was going to be played. But they felt it was necessary given the changes and, you know, the players agreed. So we saw a lot of lists changed uh, last second. A lot of people switched factions out of Iron Hands or made pretty drastic changes to how their lists played. Some, of course, didn't because, you know, not everybody pays attention to everything that's happening on Facebook. Of course. Um, but it, it, regardless, um, and then they also uh, lowered the painting requirements. So you didn't require to have a fully painted army. Uh, so paint points, uh, which are normally a thing, uh, didn't uh, drastically hurt you on like an overall scale because, you know, you're 
you, the fundamentals of your game plan have, have completely changed. Yeah, so, I mean, because it was only Space Marines that were able to shift their list, did we actually see uh, a big change in the factions that were taken or just in the lists and selections? Um, it, like we did, we did. Uh, like I said, um, there was probably a, a handful of uh, Iron Hands players that dropped Iron Hands completely. A good way you can tell is you can see that they're listed as Iron Hands in BCP to this day, uh, but they didn't bring those. Uh, they brought Raven Guard or or something else instead. Um, but still, um, yeah, it, there was a, de a definitive swing. Um, we talk to Ennis Wilson later, um, and I'm not sure if we'll use his clip, but he also mentions that he made a last-minute change to his list as he was initially bringing Broviathan uh, to the event, and uh, he ended up dropping it for Grey Knights. Yeah, um, and we got we change. actually yeah, we'll do a great uh, feature interview at the end with Ennis because uh, we only like to celebrate him when he loses an event. Uh, spoilers. So why don't we look at some of the the people who um, you know. Uh, actually wound up on top. There were two undefeated players at, at this event. Uh, Technically four, as long as you count draws. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not. Uh, uh, two players who <laughs> won all their games. How about we say it like that? Jerk. Yeah. Hey, uh, I like to be specific. I'm the stats guy. That's fine. Uh, that's why you're here, Pete, so don't worry about it. Uh, now, the event, in the end, was won by Conrad. My friend is a different Conrad, Pablo. Barkowitz. Uh, that was amazing, by the way. I couldn't understand where he was going, and then I realized. I have my Warhammer wife is Conrad Motika, childhood friend, person who's gone down this rabbit hole with me uh, since uh, halfway through seventh. Uh, he's Canadian. Uh, Conrad Barkowitz, obviously from the UK, or at least living somewhere near the UK. Uh, so, Pablo, swing and a miss. Why don't you leave the tournament coverage to the pros? And by pros, I mean Pete and me. me. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so Conrad, what was he running? Well, you know, Val, um, he was essentially a double spear and Ari list from 2018, oh but I don't want to be the one that uh, goes too in depth on it when we have an expert like Conrad right on the backtracks if we wanted to pull him out. So why don't we get to that clip? All right. So all you space brain meta haters, here we go. First list description in the new meta and it's double spear and Ari. I believe the lesson here is be careful what you wish for. Yeah, it's a pretty classic looking list. Um, got the double spears and the reapers, just like Ainara used to. Uh, the quick summary is that um, the list revolves around the two units of uh, spears. So spears are really good again with hunters of ancient relics. They get uh, extra attacks when they're within three of an objective. So suddenly this unit of nine spears has 28 attacks and then you can use Supreme Disdain for even more exploding attacks, for extra attacks. So it's sort of similar to the old Inari days, obviously not nowhere near as crazy, but you're dishing out a similar number of um, attacks and damage into the units you're charging. So usually I deploy the unit of Spears with a 3 plus Invun against shooting, um, then this goes to a 2 up Invun with Protect, and I cast Fortune on it. So it's got a 5 up Funa Pain as well, so it's really tough to deal with. This is the first unit I quicken into the opponent and they have to deal with it, otherwise it causes havoc going around their backfield, killing characters and whatever else. Meanwhile, whilst they're dealing with that, they're getting shot by fire and fading dark reapers and being shelled by the three night spinners, um, ideally from out of line of sight with the night spinners. And then once 
they've killed the first unit of spears as they inevitably do i can drop the second unit down um, which has plus two to charge and i can ghost walk that unit to give them plus four to charge so effectively charging on a five inch out of deep strike so you can make some massive charges with these um you know if you roll a nine you're going 13 inches over screens and everything then actually the rangers were really key they really impressed me they got me behind enemy lines for max points every game if you have a unit of um spears as well as two ranger units deep striking into the enemy backfield you get three uh two points for behind enemy lines um so they were really strong now of course uh king khan did wind up uh, submarining his way all the way to the finish he uh, wound up coming from table two to win the event uh and uh he provided us some highlights of a brutal game against uh, against thomas dutch who uh, was running orc boys uh, which, I mean, as Pete alluded to in the opening segment, uh, orcs kind of were an answer to uh, the earlier versions of Double Spear Yanari. Let's hear from King Khan himself uh, how he handled that matchup. Yeah, my toughest game was a brutal game um, against a really good player, Tom Dooch. Um, he had 120-ish boys, looters, three shock attack guns and all the characters. Uh, 60 grots as well I think he played really well he went first he pinned me in my corner with the jumping boys every turn and shelled whatever the shock attack guns could see um, it got really ridiculous at one point when he rolled strength 11 three times on his shock attack guns um, and one turn it was the relic one that that rolled that it drew a bead on the dark reapers and killed all 10 of them before then also turning and killing a night spinner in just one round of shooting um, that sort of stuff just makes you think, you know, the game's over. But there was one swing moment when Tom made a slight error, I think. Um, he left like a small ring, a uh, small um, bit in his horde that was close to some of his characters, a small hole basically for the spears to jump into. So I was wrapped, I was wrapped by boys, but I used fullback and charge on the unit of spears that had been reduced to around five, I think jumped into this little hole, uh, made sure they were all just within or just outside of an inch of the characters, um, and then shot and charged to kill his war boss, um, his KFF. I shot that in the shooting phase and then charged and killed the war boss and the weird boy. And then this also let my rangers deep strike and kill the, uh, the jump weird boy as he no longer had a 5++ plus plus from the KFF. So uh, in one turn that gave me four headhunter points, kill more and... And put Tom, you know, more more on the back foot. So with that said, I mean, Conrad had quite the event. He did manage to submarine his way to the win, um, absolutely destroying his final round opponent. He had that wicked close game against Thomas Douche or Dutch. Um, and then finally, we we went back to Conrad just to ask uh, how he felt about the Marine FAQ, the new ITC missions, and just where he wants to go from here. Conrad's have been a very strong player. He's played Eldar, Custodes, a number of armies to great success over the last year with Dice Down. And um, I was just curious as to, uh, you know, where does King Khan take himself in the future? Yeah, I'm ecstatic about the FAQ. Um, I thought it was you know mild enough um so that marines weren't completely trashed but instead they've been brought down from tier zero to tier one they're still really strong i think they can compete against anything there's still loads of lists out there raven guard are still really good with centurions there's loads of iron hands brigades and other type of lists 
the Pharos blob. Um, I'm sure there's still a list there as well. Um, it's just they're not no longer tier zero and no longer excluding other factions. Um, I think Imperial Fists, though, have been hurt pretty badly, and hopefully that artillery list is gone forever. Um, with regards to, to Craft Worlds, I think I'll use uh, my list or a similar list for at least one more event since I love that toolbox type of list and, you know, who doesn't love being speared? All right, thank you again to the champ, King Khan, which I think is officially my favorite 40K nickname. Well, I wish I had been the one to create it, but I'll stick to the Latin Gandalf for mine. <laughs> that is some good original content. So why don't we go to the other, well, what do we uh, want to term them as? Um, not undefeated, but... Uh, All winning. All winning. All the time. Mike the Spike Porter, uh, the other uh, player who uh, wound up winning all of their games, wound up in second place, uh, was actually top table, came into the final round uh, sitting third and uh, played the uh, top placed Innis Wilson, who we'll hear from in just a moment. But first, let's have a look at what Mr. Porter uh, was, uh, was running with. Um, now, it was Iron Hands, so I know we promised a new meta, but... Pete, was there a, a different take that he took once the fact dropped, or did he sort of stick with what he was running uh, from the outset? So yeah, Mike Porter's uh, long been uh, been running Iron Hands for quite a long time now. Um, essentially, since they came out, he's always someone that's at the you know the the tippy top of the meta in terms of what's performing. But he's always run outside the box lists, at least in comparison to everybody else. Um, so while a lot of people would be running uh, brigades that featured suppressors uh, and other units, uh, Mike has tended to towards uh, units you don't see a lot out of Iron Hands, like Invictor Warsuits, um, double uh, grav uh, dev squads, uh, which usually is not something you see, things like that. Um, coming into the event, um, he did tell us uh, with the change, he dropped about 400 points out of his list. Um, he fe he felt that uh, he needed to remove anything from the list that relied on the Devastator Doctrine, which made perfect sense. So he dropped his Invictors, which is, which are normally something that he plays quite a bit, uh, Suppressors, any of them that he ran. Um, and he brought in a block of Assault Centurions, four of them, uh, which is key because four Assault Centurions will only get your opponent three points on Gangbusters um, in the, the way it now plays out. So it's you don't want to go to that fifth if you can avoid it. Um, it also gives you a lot of shots against horde armies if you expect to see them, etc. Um, he then also brought a whirlwind Scorpius because the that first turn with the relic whirlwind um, is amazingly devastating uh, in that devastator doctrine. Um, and then after that, it still puts out respectable damage without having to move. Um, and he added an extra eliminator squad, which came in very handy. We'll learn later against Dennis. Okay, fantastic. Um, so he uh, did wind up coming out on top, and uh, I think we're going to let Innis tell the story of that last game. But maybe we just go to Mike now, uh, just with his thoughts of the, the state of the game and uh, how the latest uh, FAC uh, is going to shape the meta. Uh, I think Space Marines in general have taken a big hit, which is fantastic for the game. Um, I still think Marines are the best codex out there, but lists that can take advantage of the tactical and the assault doctrines are going to become a new hotness. Looking at Raven Guard, um, I think they're going to be the top dogs. But I played against a new Eldar and Tau this weekend, and they have got some serious good play in there, um, as have the new Sisters of Battle. I've uh, played those as well recently. 
Um, there's all the new stuff coming out for Orcs and then maybe Space Wolves and then there's the DFAQ that's looming over everybody. So it's a really exciting time for 40k. So thanks again, Mike, for uh, coming on the show again. Um, always great to hear from you. I just want to give a, a little f- a factoid out about Mike uh, so far um, in this 2020 season. Um, like I said earlier, Mike Porter is always a player you have to watch out for, always in that top end of the ITC. So far this year, we're only two months in, the guy's sitting 21-0 and in GTs and majors. Um, no one is even close to that kind of a record. He has been everywhere, and just no one can beat him. I'm really excited to see what he does um, come April when he gets back into the game after his little break to you know actually teach students uh, kicks in, um, and we'll see what happens. Absolutely. So now to round out our coverage of the Northeast Open, we're going to uh, flip over to a bit of an interview with Mr. Innes Winless Wilson. Uh, who was running Grey Knights and, of course, was in first place going into that final round against Mike Porter. Um, he's, uh, he's a great guy uh, from the uh, now-defunct Caledonian Death Watch podcast, which was one of the only regular shows uh, with information about uh, you know UK events, and uh, it no longer broadcasts. So I guess we're just relying on Stephen Box, but we're going to talk to him later. For now, we're going to go to a totally live and definitely not pre-recorded interview Heading into the Northeast Open, I know that you were planning for a hot minute on running White Scars, or at least had been pl- putting together a list for it. Now, what caused you to switch to Grey Knights after the fact dropped? I'd originally submitted a variation of the Brohammer Leviathan list. So I was kind of left in a bit of a bind, and I was scrambling to get a replacement army in time, and was sort of bouncing between armies, writing Gene Circle lists, Iron Hand lists, White Scars lists. So I opted not to submit those. I just wanted to take something that I felt I could actually win with. So to that end, uh, I decided to YOLO submit Grey Knights. Now, you know I love a good YOLO submission. And I just got to ask, out of all the factions you'd mentioned there, why do you think Grey Knights gave you the best chance? I feel like Grey Knights are really, really strong in the meta at the moment. And the terrain... We had preset maps, so I knew that I would always be playing on a board with at least one or two large central L's and places I could hide paladins in the deployment zone. So feeling like Grey Knights were really strong before the FAQs to Space Marines and then definitely on a level with them after the FAQ, I thought it was my best chance to be able to take an army that actually legitimately had a shot at winning, even if I didn't have a single practice game on them. No one should be disappointed with a zero practice top table finish. But like Icarus, perhaps you flew a little close to the sun. Coming up to that top table, you're facing against the one and only Mike Porter. How did you feel about it going into it? The only really easy way I have to put it is that I was stressed about it. Yeah. Uh, Mike's an incredible player. He played for Team England when they won the ETC in 2019. Uh, He's a multiple major winner and he was playing an army that he's incredibly comfortable on and i was playing an army that i was very much not that (laughs) Uh, i had a quite a long break between game four and five i did unfortunate things to a possessed bomb in the fourth game Mm -hmm. and had a lot of time to stew on matchups i originally thought i was going to be playing either sisters or raven guard but they actually ended up drawing so that left me playing mike it was not Great for my mental state is the easiest way to put it. Um, I did have a game plan going into it. It was very much the same game plan as I'd 
operated with all weekend. Castle in the middle of the board. Weather the firepower that can deal with the paladins. Kill what can kill the strike squads. And then overwhelm them with board control mm-hmm. and win in the late game. Um, paladins have a lovely trick where once they go below five models, they become even harder to kill because the stratagem to make them reduce damage by one goes down to one CP. Yep. So the first couple of paladins die pretty easy. Well, easy for paladins once you when you've got the negative to wound power and the four of vulnerable safe power on them. They're still not easy to kill, but they become much harder to kill when I can use that stratagem for one CP. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, I was going to castle in center ruins, and if I was going first, I would just weather the grav pod because uh, I would be have the opportunity to put buff powers up on my squads. And if I was going second, I was going to deploy some strike squads and sacrifice them in order to prevent the grab pod being able to drop down and shoot the paladins whilst I was unbuffed and while he was in Devastator Doctrine. Because if it comes down on turn two, I'm much less scared of it. Right. All that being said, after your game, you wrote a lengthy tweet on what you feel was the actual cause of the loss. Anyone watching you on stream will have noted you failing two really big charges, one of which essentially... Uh, costed you the victory now can you talk us through how it all went down and um why that charge wasn't necessarily what lost it for you it stung a lot um with a three-point game uh that very much could have resulted in me winning my first major which would have been Hmm. honestly amazing i've been playing competitive 4k for three years and having that opportunity is something that i am still striving for every minute of every day that i'm playing 4k but ultimately, I can't in good conscience say that that game came down to me failing those charge rolls because I actually played the single worst turn of 40k I can ever recall having played huh. on my turn one against Mike. Um, and you'll see on you can see on stream uh, my blob is deployed in the center in one of the central ruins in um, spearhead assault deployment, and I move my librarian and about half of the squad of paladins backwards in order to get out of deny range from Mike's Souls of Iron stratagem on some units that he's advanced deployed. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I get so fixated on making sure that he can't stop me casting Astral Aim on my paladin squad so that I can shoot his units and kill them and pick up Butcher's Bill. Right. That I ignored the fact that he had three squads of Eliminators on the board that would all be able to draw a direct line of sight to this librarian if he moved back the way. Whoopsie doodle. Uh, I screened him out from the grav pod because I didn't want him to die to the grav pod, but honestly, I should have just allowed him to kill them with the grav pod because it would have meant he couldn't use the iron hands, sixes to wound, do double damage, or do two wounds stratagem. Mm-hmm. And might have kept some paladins alive, which would have been even better for me than losing the librarian the way I did. Uh, and doing that also meant that two of the chaplain dreads or his two chaplain dreads could draw a bead on the paladins as well. So because I made this play, instead of just allowing him to maybe deny Astrolame, stop me getting a kill turn one, um, I didn't get Butcher's Bill anyway. I didn't shoot the Eliminators with my Astrolame, which I should have done. Uh, I said allowed Mike to come in and kill my Librarian, which scored him a kill. I killed one squad of Infiltrators, so he ended up tying on kills instead of Mike not getting a kill and me maybe not getting a kill if Mike despite to spend CP. And then also lost additional paladins to the chaplain dreads that I had to move into line of sight of to protect the librarian. And then didn't have my librarian for the game. Yeah. So because he was the only source I had of casting the generator CP power, that probably cost me three or four CP over the course of the game. 
uh, it cost me the turn one kill. Uh, my target, my wrong target priority meant that I didn't get Butcher's Bill, and then he had the Eliminators. Just all around, I hyperfixated on making sure that one problem wasn't a problem for me that I created probably three, maybe up to five more problems for myself. Yeah. And that was something that was completely and fully in my control. Literally nothing Mike did impacted on how I played that turn. We weren't even playing on a clock and we finished the round with time to spare. So I had all the time in the world to make these choices and do it properly. Right. And just didn't. That's a bummer, man. And it's really easy sitting here now having watched the game because they don't even really pick up on the on the stream um but the moment the moment where i roll those charges it's such such an iconic moment of he goes for the big charge the charge to win the game and he fails it oh my god oh my god and just lost the game because of that charge no i didn't huh. i really didn't i lost that game because i played it wrong and then needed to make charges to stay in the game and the second that i give the charges the opportunity to screw me over there's a chance they can screw me over right and if i had just had more cp left to do other things had a librarian not given up a turn one kill killed the eliminators instead and scored my butcher's bill that that's a three points going there and that drives that draws the game 26 26 wow and then what could i do with having a librarian left to score one point yeah well jeez that's perhaps one of the most emotionally compelling recaps we've ever had here on Stat Center. You were forthright, vulnerable, open, and honest. Um, none of those things, I think, have ever been said about a Scottish person before. I would just like to take a minute to congratulate Mike on the win that he did absolutely deserve in that game, though. Uh, he took all of the opportunities that presented themselves to him and created even more through his own play. Um as somebody in chat said, you can nerf Iron Hands, but you can't nerf I Mike Porter. I believe what they said was, you can nerf Iron Hands, but you can never nerf Mike Porter. This is totally a live interview, guys. Um, so he truly, truly did deserve to win that game. And I'm only disappointed that he couldn't win it by more so that Conrad didn't jump him from third place. Uh, sorry, Conrad. Well, that's all right, I guess. Um, but let's not pour one out for the Iron Hands person not winning the tournament. I mean, it was kind of nice to have a non-Iron Hands winner in the end, but let's let's end on a high note here. Um, what Are, are you, are you going to stay with the Grey Knight strain or move on to something else uh, in, in lead up to the WTC? The answer is no, for two reasons. One, it was a borrowed army, and I am a poor student, <laughs> so I can't really afford to go buying a new army because uh, Aiden's probably not going to let me keep it since he is playing them. So, yeah, I'll be either sticking with Tyranids or Space Marines, just mm -hmm. depending on what I can make work in the new meta, because we are in a brave new world now, where up is left, down is right, and the sky is blue for everybody who's not Space Marines, for a change. That was clever. So, yeah, we're going to see what happens. Uh, it won't be Grey Knights, but yes, hopefully I'll be back we soon. we definitely hope to have you back on the show sometime real soon there, Ennis. Uh, for another totally live, not pre-recorded, and then edited together interview. Pete, anything that you would like to uh, to add before we go on to the next segment? I just want to say, um, in listening to that interview with Val, um, 
I'm always impressed with the passion that this player base has when it comes to the tournament scene and scene in the game in general. And you really hear it out of Ennis's answers there. Um, and it's, I'm always, it's what makes me proud to be part of this community that we have these really strong competitors um, with such great sportsmanship, with such great attitudes, but that I can also talk to their emotions and just how important this game uh, is and what it means to them. That's really all I wanted to say. Um, let's cut to a, a break. Stat Center episode 30. Get you right in the feels. Tournament news. Hi guys, I'm Manny Chima, one of the founders of Glasshammer Gaming and the head coach for the Glasshammer List Writing and Coaching Service, and you're listening to the 40k Stat Center. Aw, oh, thank you, Manny. And now, why don't we go back across the Atlantic Ocean? In fact, let's go way back. Let's go back an extra weekend to the Coastal Wargaming Major that was held in Virginia using Adepticon missions. I know, weird, right? Who does that? I guess people who are going to Adepticon probably care about Adepticon missions. And, I guess. You know, this was actually a time in the show where I previously had been planning to do a, a bit of a, a bit of a rant about Adepticon. I think I'm going to leave it at this. If you want to listen to the head TO talk about how it's not cheating if you don't get caught, then don't worry because they won't be looking anyway. Oh, and if you're not at the event, you don't have a right to call out any foul play because you didn't buy a ticket. And my personal favorite, top tables are not allowed on the GW stream because he doesn't think competitive players are a good representation of the hobby. And this is on, I'll remind you, Juice and Sean Naden's podcast, the Battle Brothers podcast. Juice had one of the classiest top table games of, of all last year at Adepticon. Anyway, Battle Brothers podcast, last episode, tune it into about 24 minutes and get angry because it really upset me. And I think we're going to leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, I could see where you got upset having the fact that you forced me to listen to that exact same podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I, think it's, I think you're doing the right thing. Let other people have their own opinion. Absolutely. Um, that being said, I think what you said about Innis at the end of the last break uh, is more representative of top tables that, uh, than uh, what uh, the TO has to say. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, if you perhaps enforce rules at your event, you wouldn't have so many shitty people. Um, so, Oh, that was biting. I like it. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, uh, that all being said, Pete, do you have any sort of familiarity at all with the Adepticon mission set? What makes it different? Well, for sure. So, um, every year Adepticon kind of crafts its own missions um, to, you know, do its own thing, stay apart from the rest of the crowd. And this year's no different. Um, they've got uh, six custom missions that are designed to uh, kind of shake things up. It's not your normal ITC or Nova affair. Uh, the big thing for Adepticon, um, always, they do have player place terrain. Um, so that is a, an aspect of the game you have to get used to if you're not. It's a it's an old way of doing things but it does add an extra you know level of strategy to the game where your table is essentially empty when you get there and then you roll off to place the terrain uh player by player um the missions themselves uh 
the big difference between Adepticon and uh, your kind of standard ITC or, or Nova is like there is no emphasis on kills in Adepticon missions. Um, everything is objective based. I, I believe there are two, maybe three points per mission you can accomplish by getting kills, and that's like killing your your opponent's warlord and you know first slash last uh, strike, and that's essentially it. Um, so there's no kill more. There's no kill per turn. It's all about claiming specific objectives in specific manners or in, I believe, at least one case, destroying your opponent's objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. Um, so it's it's a very, it's a, it's a game that's built more for um, very uh, fast builds uh, and armies that can last. So um, I believe if you listen to our latest uh, Chapter Tactics episode, Nick Nanabadi goes into pretty good detail on what he thinks works in Adepticon. Yeah. Um, and it's basically Iron Hands. And don't expect much different um, simply because Iron Hands, Tau, factions that can, uh, that can you know, outlast the game and, and maneuver into the midboard are the ones that are going to take advantage of that mission set. Okay, um, so I think... That's that's a that's a good read of uh, of things going into Adepticon, and also I just want to remind our, our our listeners, you know, why are we even talking about Adepticon? We're 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 talking about the Coastal Wargaming uh, GT here, actually major, uh, and and the reason is Adepticon is really that first super major ish level event uh, for singles. Uh, generally speaking, the front runner of the ITC, uh, and usually actually except for last year um uh, or at least often the eventual winner of the itc often is the winner of the adepticon singles uh it definitely shapes the race uh between now and some of the bigger events uh that happen later on in the year uh so adepticon kind of a big deal and uh, the, the winner coming out of this definitely uh will be your clubhouse leader uh for uh, a good stretch run here uh, certainly at least until we hit the the bao maybe one of the next big big events that are coming for um, sure, and it's also a big, a good sign of uh, like a player's uh, you know strategic capabilities. If you if you look at uh, previous years, um, people that are able to um, adjust to missions outside of say ITC ETC, um, they tend to be you know these top level players. Last year, Jim Bessel won Adepticon and went on a streak for like three months where basically nobody could beat him, um, and um, we've seen it in previous years as well. Yeah, absolutely. So. Enough about that. Why don't we talk about Coastal Wargaming here? Now, this was, of course, uh, uh, you know, two weekends ago, so this is before the Space Marine FAQ. So who wound up winning? Um, it was Mr. Ken Fort Knox, um, who brought an all-infantry, like we just kind of mentioned, um, in Iron Hands list. He ended up uh, playing uh, Imperial Fist's Artillery in the finals, um, just absolutely uh, destroyed. I shouldn't say destroyed. The, a lot of the games were actually pretty close points-wise, uh, but really did have a have a pretty good go uh, throughout the event. We did manage to get a, a few really good clips from him talking about how Adepticon missions play out. You know what? Why don't we just cut to him and hear what he had to say about uh, the Adepticon missions and how that kind of formulated his strategy. My list does differ from a lot of standard Iron Hands lists. And I think that's partly an effect of Adepticon missions and also partly an effect of my play style. So the Adepticon missions do encourage holding much more than killing. And so for that reason, you know, I was able to build a list that didn't have as strong killing elements. There's no Leviathan, things like that, but was able to focus on really having lots and lots of really tough to remove infantry wounds. 
On the other hand, I do think it's partly my playing style as well. I think it's always really important for players to play armies that support their play style, right? Each player has their own natural way to play, and they play best when they play to their strengths. So in that sense, actually quite similar to my Tau army, this army displays a lot of resilience and a lot of ability to react to and counter things my opponent's trying to do. That was really my idea behind the list. You know, build something that was both good for Adepticon and that suited the way I like to play the game. The tournament did use the Adepticon missions, and they really are quite different from the ITC missions. Holding more is huge for the Adepticon missions. Their primary is essentially the Nova Progressive primary that you get points for holding objectives at the start of each of your turns, starting in Battle Round 2. There's no kill or kill more primaries. So I think this really affects how you set up your army. You don't have to worry about MSU giving up lots of kill points. And you also don't have to worry in and of itself about killing opposing units. Only killing opposing units is part of accomplishing that mission of holding objectives. But I think you see that in my army with all the intercessors, very hard to remove. I focus really on this ability to be able to hold large numbers of objectives. For sure. Why don't we take a minute and take a look at the other person that um, was unbeaten. Uh, That's the word. Uh, Coastal Wargaming, uh, Larry Oliver, because that one, I think, at least last week when we were kind of going through the results and trying to think about who we wanted to talk to, mm-hmm. that one really sparked out to us uh, far more than the rest uh, because he did it with a, um, a faction that has struggled a lot lately. Yeah. Mono Faction Tyranids. What? What? Now, uh, one thing I'll say about Tyranids and what a lot of people have said is that Psychic Awakening really wasn't its best friend. They got a couple little cute bonuses, mainly the um, Exocrine, Exocrine, um, came out like gangbusters and we're seeing it all over the place now. But essentially everything else was unchanged for that army. Um, and we see the same thing kind of come out of Gene Stealer Cults where you know Ridge Runners got a tiny boost. That's really about it. Um, so I have been surprised by the amount of Tyranid players at kind of smaller GT, smaller majors, um, that are pulling out big wins and Larry's one of them. Why don't we take a minute and uh, just let Larry kind of go over what he brought and, uh, and why he brought, why he did what he did. All right. Over to you, Larry. This past weekend, I was playing at a major that was using Adepticon missions and they had excellent terrain with good walls and with Adepticon, you can place your terrain so my general tactics was to make sure each side had some really good line of sight blocking for my hide guard to hide behind, and the walls that they had were even big enough to hide my flyers occasionally. On turn one, I uh, tried to make sure my gene stealers take as many ejectors as they can, killing any infantry that may be on them, and I send the flyerant with the Swarm Lord's help straight at the biggest target he can kill, and with flat four damage, he can remove almost anything he wants. Uh, they, I also give him Catalyst, so he is difficult to remove, and my opponent has to deal with him on turn one, and sometimes, and usually that means my Daka Flyerin and uh, Swarm Lord are untouched for turn two. The Kronos element has really reliable shooting to clear anything that gets midfield and to remove my opponents from objectives, which Adepticon Missions is all about the objectives. So as long as I'm removing my opponent from at least one or two objectives, they will not get a lot of points at the beginning of their turn, and I will continue to get points at the beginning of my turn, and all I gotta do is 
just have more points. Uh, my favorite unit by far is the Behemoth Flyrant. With all of the buffs, he has uh, 5 attacks and melee. 6 is give him additional attacks. Strength 8, AP minus 4, 4 damage. He gets 5 damage on a 6 up, and he can get plus 1 to wound, and rerolls to wound with a stratagem. He participates in all phases of the game. He has 2 psychic powers he can cast. Usually I give him Psychic Scream and Smite for 2d3 uh, uh, mortal damage. And then he has a heavy venom cannon, so in the shooting phase he can do assault D3, 36 inch range, strength 9, AP minus 2, 3 damage with that. Uh, he was definitely my MVP over the weekend, killing uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, my favorite in-game moment, and I'd say my favorite game, was uh, game 4 versus the Eldari list. It was 3 Wraith Lords, 3 Wraith Seers, and 9 Talos. That was a really tough matchup. Uh, all of my shooting combined could barely kill a Talos unit, so I was in big trouble that game. But I barely won by 2 points, and the reason I won was because my Warlord survived three rounds of melee against a Wraith Lord and one round of melee against a Homunculus, a Warlord being the Neurothrope. So three of them vulnerable save was just rocking it. And because he survived, denied my opponent two points for Slay of the Warlord, which allowed me to win by two points, and thus the Adepticon differential scoring made it at 22 to 18. I had a lot of fun this weekend. My All of my opponents were great. Going 5-0 and felt great. Uh... I went 3-0 at an RTT at the beginning of the month, and that time I actually did get paired against Space Marines, so uh, there's definitely potential with this list to face them, and that was in the old ITC missions. So I look forward to the new ITC missions where I believe the secondaries are more advantageous for me, and, uh, and I plan to play a lot more tournaments in the future. Thank you very much for your comments there, Larry, and for all you Tyranid fans out there going 5-0 is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Tournament News. I'm Stephen Ford, a.k.a. Juice from Team Battle Brothers Podcast, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. Okay, thank you, Juice. As has become a bit of a tradition here on Stat Center, we're now going to quick hit you all the way to the finish. Although, we're going we're gonna to mix it up a little bit. We're going to go quickly first. To the one, the only, Steven Box from Vanguard Tactics and now the aptly named Competitive 40K Podcast that you can listen to uh, because he won, that's right, he won a 1,750-point tournament known as the Warp Storm. Warp Storm. Warp Storm. Warp Storm. Uh, Warp Firm GT uh, in England. It was 36 players. Let's go over to Steven quick for a couple comments about his event. Hey Val Pete, thanks so much for having me back on the Stat Center and privileged to, yeah, kind of run through the Blood Angels with you guys and how I've recently done it. Greetings from the Warp. Um, so yeah, I've been running the Blood Angels since the kind of release of Blood of Bowl, kind of playing around with different things. And I think for me, the what attracts me to the army is certainly something back it was one of my first ever armies that i collected with the blood angels but for me it's just the aesthetic of the models um as a competitive bodybuilder when i can see all these guys have absolutely shredded six packs i'm just like right yeah this is the army for me the golden boys which is why my army heavily features the uh, sanguinary guard um the sanguinor and all that good stuff so yeah definitely um from an aesthetic point of view with the army what it looks like how it plays very much in my play style i love the movement phase and also the combat phase so um i'm certainly having a lot of fun with the list and there's a real kind of in my opinion like high skill level with the list 
So my thoughts on the new ITC mission setup. Um, I actually think they they help Blood Angels a whole lot. Um, there certainly seems to be a little bit more of a direction now in terms of holding, um, and that is what the Blood Angels do exceptionally well. They uh, just provide this absolute threat saturation in the midfield. If you come anywhere close, they're going to punch your lights out. So, yeah, I think it certainly helps in that side of things. I'm really liking the new ways that you can bonus. Um, I like the way that you deploy um, objectives. It leaves, leaves a little bit more to be sort of like tactical in terms of where you want to play how and that certainly won me that game against the tower was being able to place those objectives and you know try and bonus on my side of things that was great but yeah on the whole i think blood angels um, are going to be doing very well this season um, and i hope to carry on with them all this year and see what i can do so guys thanks so much for having me on you guys do an incredible job as always um, if you want to find out more about what i do i've got a youtube channel vanguard tactics where i do a podcast i do battle reports and loads of tactical elements uh, and then i also have my mentorship program which is basically a month by month program which is up to a year and it's the essentially a 40k university course i kind of explain it as it's module by module you'll learn every phase of the game and ultimately help you become a better competitive 40k player and hopefully winning the game in the right way so anyway guys thanks so much and you can find out all that stuff over on www.vanguardtactics.com thanks again and i'll see you soon uh thanks a lot Stephen, for those great comments uh as a longtime blood angels fan myself i feel you bud um as everyone who's met Stephen and i know we're essentially twins in terms of body forms um you wouldn't be able to tell us uh tell the difference between us if with our shirts off just how it is um you guys, if you really want to hear more about that Blood Angels win, you can take a listen to Vanguard Tactics. Steven did a whole episode with the whole Vanguard Tactics team as they all performed very well at that event. Um, and you can also listen to the Comp 40K podcast um, because, once again, he did a whole episode uh, on a play-by-play of the event, how he's been playing these Blood Angels. Um, it's a great listen. It's a really interesting a way to play the army. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's really, really good. I highly recommend it. Now let's get into those quick hits. Yeah, and you can check the notes uh, of this show for links to all of that beautiful, hot content. And I will say, Pete, only one of you looks really good in a speedo. speedo. Without further ado, it's time for quick hitters, folks. Here we go. We're going to start it off by swinging through Gamers Hollow 500, which was won by George Bobkov with Night Lord's Possessed Bomb. Yep, it's a very interesting list. Super excited to hear about it. They talked a little bit about it on Chapter Tactics. Oh, however, um, they were mistaken in saying that th- this event had used uh, the uh, Space Marine fact. It, in fact, did not. Uh, George or Georg, however you want to pronounce it, is just that damn good at this game. Absolutely. Then we're over at the Alliance Open Iron Man, and that was won by Paul Rude Steenbaker playing Imperial Fists. Yep, uh, the Alliance Ironman, an amazing charity event. Um, it was hosted by the Alliance Open. Uh, they did stream the whole thing. It was an Ironman, so people stayed up from first thing in the morning till well into the night. It was all for charity. They did head shavings. I believe they ended up making something like uh, three or four uh, euros or pounds, thousands and whatever variant uh, for three charity. Three or so- four euros or pounds just i don't know i don't know what they use down there maybe they use shekels um Uh i don't know what the currency is um i'm not a cryptologist um anyway kudos to them always put on a great show great great to listen to highly recommend you check out their stream 
Pete, let's let's slow it down because this marks kind of the end of an era, and so I think we should take our time now in shouting out the remainder of winners. Uh, of course, because these are all guys who are running Iron Hands, and maybe we'll see less of them, maybe we won't. But uh, let's let's really savor these now. Uh, why don't we go first to the Prague Open with Patrick? Can still be a sleaze when there ain't no C's. San Filippo. Yep. Uh, he won the Prague Open, a, an 84-player major uh, in the Czech Republic. Uh, he played the Bravathan list, but brought a couple Thunderfire cannons for good luck. Uh, managed to take the win. There were four undefeated players at that event, um, and uh, essentially all of them were running um, either Iron Hands, and then there was that lone exception, Mikhail uh, Kostika, uh, running uh, Renegade Knights. Next up is WCT Episode 1. It was an ITC-ETC mixed mission event. Won by Jimmy Peterson's Iron Hands Brigade. Or one out for the Lonely Iron Hands Brigade. Its days are done. Uh, that event was run by Neil Kerr, I believe, uh, the head judge of all head judges, um, and possibly the handsomest man alive. Probably not. If you're into bald guys with beards, for sure. And then finally, rounding it all out, we've got Talavisoda. Talavisoda. An ITC event won by the one, the only, the handsome, Sammy Keenan, and, and he was running an I Iron Hands Brigade. Yeah, with a just a crap ton of intercessors, because that guy saw the future. All right, everybody. So, we're going to do a Chapter Tactics moment of silence for the Iron Hands meta. We're signing it off. It's officially done, sealed, and delivered. We're caught up on all of our events. Let's hit a bomb. Tournament news. Hi, I'm Stephen Box from Vanguard Tactics, and you're listening to the one and only 40k Stat Center. Well, guys, that brings us to the end of the show, and uh, I'm just doing the edit, and it seems that I've managed to have lost the end of the show. So this one's going to be a solo effort by yours truly, just as we wrap things up. As always, this has been brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network. Also on this channel, you can tune in to Chapter Tactics earlier this week. We had some very excellent insights from Nick Natavati, Brandon Grant, maybe Scary. Can't quite remember, but it was a good show. And then, of course, you have the granddaddy of them all, Signals from the Frontline this week. Uh, Reese and Pablo were back as a pair, as I was hoping would happen. And, of course, there's also Art of War on this network. Uh, this week, I do believe we have the one and only Thomas Hegstrom Oki uh, talking about Blood Angels. If you didn't get quite enough from Stephen Box and the content that you picked up on his channel, more Blood Angels from Thomas and then also previous week, if you enjoyed his stop by on our show, Lawrence Baker had a double episode. That's right. The, the full content behind the paywall content as well was released onto the network. Uh, so lots of great stuff to listen to here on the Frontline Gaming Network and me rambling, of course, at the end of the show. If you like what we do here, please do what you can. Give us a thumbs up. Tell your friends. Give us a high five when you see us at a tournament. And as Pete might say, if I had actually somehow recorded when he did say it, bye bye
This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. Until GW absolutely flexes on Adepticon and insists on getting top games, we will continue to not put top games on their stream. And that is simply for the fact that like top games are sometimes people who are not particularly representative of the way we want 40k to be played. They might be winning their games um, and they, they might go 4-0 on, on day one, but they're not really representative of, of what we consider to be a... a an exemplary 40k player.